Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that for you. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White and today myself, Simon and Martin Keown were across all the deals as they were happening on transfer deadline day, including a remarkable saga involving Liverpool's Mo Salah. We also looked at the window through a current owner's perspective as Peterborough's Darren McAntony told us about his struggles this week. Plus, is Harry Maguire's England selection once again justified? This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Tom, the Tottenham fan, I'm just reading your message. Morning, Jim. Morning, Simon. I'm currently walking South Downs Way from Winchester to Eastbourne, 100 miles in two days. You will be getting me through until one o'clock today. Make it a good one, lads, says Tom, the Tottenham fan. Simon, let's do just that. 100 miles. Well done to That's you, a walk, Tom. Isn't it? That is a walk and a half. Uh, Mr. Martin Keown has uh, beaten anything that real disruption can throw at him, mm-hmm. and he has arrived and is ready to go in this very studio. Good morning, Arsenal Invincible, Martin Keown. Good morning, Jim. Good morning yeah, to another you. Another train strike, but I'm here. I like you, but you just power your way through a train strike. That's well, nothing to you. Do you know what? My son tipped me off actually because he's been doing this journey through the week. So no, you, there was no train out of Oxford after seven oh seven, Jim. So that's why I was so early. Yeah, I, yeah. There you were, the were, not, not the news and all over the newspapers and <laughs> all other news outlets. That was well, the tip. It, it was a bit of a late my, shout. Actually, this is information from his son. <laughs> I keep an eye on it, but it was a late shout well, to try and catch yourself. His son used to give him word of the week, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he used to come in. With his latest words that he didn't know what they yeah. meant. But That's probably. right. He's given um, me one for today, actually. Was it? Yeah. Laconic. 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 Yeah, so laconic is uh, basically, Jim, somebody that you who just uses few words to describe something instead of going around the houses. So, so well, he wanted, like, maybe that, that might that be. Word with me was basically saying, why would you use one word, Simon, when you use 100? This is the point. Now, talking about words, there were many words in your best selling book, Be Careful What You Wish For. Indeed. Which I believe retails at 11,000 words, to be precise. 133,000 words. Correct. Okay, and you did the audio version and regurgitated those 133,000 words. Indeed, I did. Um, 1195. There's one out in the market uh, next month, Martin, at 2179. Jim White and Cavi Solicom. 
my chum at Sky, deadline day. How apt is that that I mention this on this very day? Jim, you're a legend, aren't you, of the transfer deadline? Thank day. you, Martin. Absolutely. You're a lovely man. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a darn good read, as is your book, Mr. Jordan. Indeed. Um, so, but both. it is double the value to yours because it's double the quality, as you yes, probably... Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, right. I, I think we start, my book started about 1999, and that was 10 years ago. My book's still selling about ten or 15,000 copies a year. Yes. Um, if yours does this year, that would be wonderful. And I'd be, It's so disconcerting when you see these vertical drops where it starts at 21 <laughs> and ends up at a fiver in the same week. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's oh, the part oh, you've got to watch out I must for. say, the man, I was thrilled to get a mention in his book. I think he calls me a pipsqueak. <laughs> yes. Um, but it is a darn good read, and hopefully mine will follow suit. With Cavi Solicol, Cavi is, uh, is a wordsmith. He he gets he's a brilliant journalist. He's a great journalist, isn't mm, he? Yeah, he is. Um, talking about good journalism, Mr. Sam Matterface is burrowing away through there in the other office, getting information right, left, and centre. I think uh, our friend uh, Amrabat will be heading to Manchester United. Um, we'll be on top of that one. Uh, Nottingham Forest have signed Nuno Tavares on loan. Uh, as a former Arsenal man, of course, Nuno Tavares. Martin, you might remember him. Yep. When you played Martin, what was a day like this like uh, when deals were going down? Well, it wasn't and, really. And, a, it was when I was playing, Jim. It wasn't really around. But, uh, but, but in and I, around the game, when transfers were done, do players talk about? Do you see, he's getting a move. I'd love a move. Do you see, he's getting a move. I mean, do, is that the topic of conversation? I think you 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 instantly. I remember when I was at Aston Villa, and um, certain players were being bought there for, for a quick fix. And then you saw that the, you saw it in their eyes that those players weren't going to be there long, and that they wanted to move on to other clubs. And it was a case of right, okay, we're going to have to we're going to have to do well, make yes. hay while the sun shines while this player's here. Yeah. And that the wrong type of player can sometimes come into your club when you're trying to make things happen quickly. Martin probably heard from his colleagues as I hope he's getting a move. <laughs> I actually remember walking into the village dressing room saying, "What on earth have you done coming here?" <laughs> and, and that was Paul Elliott and Steve Hodge, who were players that were looking to. <laughs> to lead the club, maybe not so much Paul Elliott, but certainly Steve Hodge, who'd come back from the World Cup. Yeah. Um, and that's not a nice feeling either, by the way. Is, is, is there a story about you getting somewhat paranoid about Colo Turi joining Arsenal? And you were thinking, no, not at all, hang not. on a minute, <laughs> hang on a minute, that's my position. What's he doing I here? I actually helped him What's more. What's he doing than, here? I'm, I play in that position. I helped him more than any other player that I can think of in my career because of the experiences I experienced from senior players when I started out. So I was genuinely giving him everything I could to help him to take my place. All right, Colo, come in. That's my locker. You can have it. It wasn't quite like that, sure. Well, I was thirty-seven. I was thirty-seven years of age. All right, at the time, so it was. Um, it was. It was more than ready to give it up. Yes. Yes. Well, anything that goes down this morning will bring you first and fastest right here on TalkSport because Sam Matavis, as I say, is working in the background. Uh, Alex Crook will be uh, joining the, the team in the afternoon and then right through to the bitter end at 11 o'clock tonight and beyond with myself. Producer Luke, Producer Luke is uh, moonlighting today, Simon. Is he? Oh, yeah, we don't stop. We don't stop. You'll go back to your palatial apartment over in Chelsea yes. after this. Uh, you might have a wee nap in the silk uh, bedding sheets. And, I would rather uh, shut up to, I would rather to shut up to certain us. part of my anatomy in a car door than do transfer deadline day at 11 o'clock at night. Thank you very much. I would willingly close that door for you. <laughs> Jim, you, no, you made did it last year. You... I was dragged in, kicking and screaming, bitching and moaning. Oh, you were the star. This fellow on Sky was it was it was more important oh, than the general absolutely. election polling exit to absolutely. hear what Jim was saying on 
Transfer deadline day. Martin, you are lovely, aren't you? You're in a great mood. You're in a very generous mood this morning well, with your uh, comments. It's about time we actually I did it spread a few that. times with Jim, which is where I grew my deep-seated dislike for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't really fancy it because of what happened to you when you were a, when you were an owner at Palace. I just because you had all these agents at you. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't find it an enjoyable time. I, I think it's a, a wonderful thing for the media and for the fans. It creates enormous content and enormous discussion. But for me, I find it all a bit unedifying about how much money someone's going to spend and how the race to the bottom is. We've spent £2.1 billion pounds on players as if it's Incredible. a badge yeah. of honour. But the, like it. Unavoidably, but I understand it's about. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I know and spinning your blushes, you performed damn well on Sky With Me because you could give it the treatment as to, well, they have spent that. It might be an overspend. It might work. It yeah. might not. You analysed it well. But I was also set opposite Niall Quinn. So it was a low bar that I had to overachieve against. <laughs> very, that is very unfair. Now, if you're listening, I'll ap- apologise on his behalf. Um, Martin, I don't know what we're going to, what we may or may not get today. I always say it on a day like this: expect the unexpected. Um, the Saudis are in town. I know Simon, you're fed up talking about the Saudis, but they're here and they're here to stay, and that, that's a simple uh, matter of fact. Jurgen Klopp has been speaking because so far, so far, Liverpool are saying no. Nope, we're not even going to negotiate with the Saudis about or anybody else about Mo Salah. And now there's talk of a major money bid coming in for Salah. But Liverpool say, forget it. He's going nowhere. This was Klopp just a few moments ago. The only position remains the same. Absolutely. No no doubt about that. We cannot. That's, that's how it is. But, um, yeah, nothing else to say. No offer? Not as far... Well. That I know, but that doesn't mean a lot, to be honest. Not as far as he knows. Um, that's not a categorical no, isn't it? Um, what he is saying is, look, we're not going to sell. And yet, not that long ago, Simon, about 20, 25 minutes ago, uh, Sam Adafis, who is getting information out of the Saudi Pro League and is getting, is gauging the temperature as to what they may or may not do today, they may even go to ridiculously silly money today but regardless of that would your stance be the same stance that apparently perceivably John W. Henry is adopting no under any circumstances for Salah he's 31 Simon well I don't know if that is John Henry's stance it certainly is Jurgen Klopp's Mm. stance as we see I mean it all depends what you think you've got in the building I mean it is a point where everything is for sale and if these Saudis want to write out absolutely ridiculous checks, then then, then to some extent you might be foolhardy not to take it. There is a point where Salah is going to be, be leaving Liverpool and Liverpool are going to go on without him. Now, if you think you've got in the four that you've got there now a potential opportunity to, to, to utilise them and possibly buy somebody in January, because the thing that I can't find in this circle as to why it would be a deal that was achievable is that... Unless, there's, unless Liverpool are playing hide-and-seek with themselves and saying to the Saudis, come in at the last minute, force our hand across the line with a ridiculous deal and not give us any time to buy anybody because the window's closed, unless that discussion has it's been had, problem, how, can Liverpool, how can Liverpool have this money and do anything meaningful with it because they can't? Now, the alternative is they need the money, they have financial fair play challenges, or they need the cash. I can't really see that being the issue. Because none of it, not, as I said yesterday to the fellow that does our Saudi uh, Arabian Saudi Pro League reporting, Ben Jacobs. Yeah. Ben Jacobs. Yeah, I don't understand. How, in order to make a deal happen, you have to have all moving parts of it beneficial to everybody. And Liverpool losing what most people would consider to be their talisman, a key component of their offensive opp- opportunities, and Jurgen Klopp's doubling down on it with no ability to replace him 
doesn't make a deal happen. Mm. And so unless there's an ulterior motive for allowing um, the Saudi bid to come in at this late moment, because we, they haven't even made a bid. Yeah. They haven't even made a bid. Yeah. Now, they'll say we've got until September the 20th, is it, to be able to buy players? That's but, right. But Liverpool, but, that doesn't help Liverpool. September the 7th. It didn't sound unequivocal from from uh, Jurgen Klopp, though, did it? Well, it wasn't a can- as far look, as he was concerned. It. But it's not his gift, is it? It's not his money. It's, no. He, he can't sit there with absolute certainty. And if you asked him, are you going to be at Liverpool with absolute certainty in two years' time, he probably couldn't answer that with absolute of course. certainty. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Sam Matavis has joined us in studio. But Sam, what have you got? Look, we told you this morning at around about half past nine that Al Itihad were going to push for Mo Salah today. We told you that a PFI, a PIF delegation were expected to make an offer to Liverpool of around about 150 million euros. In the last few minutes, Liverpool have rejected a 150 million pound bid for Mo Salah for, for, from Al Etihad. Now, we told you to expect this. Liverpool have been saying that their stance is still that Salah is not for sale. You remember earlier on today listening to Jurgen Klopp, some of the words he came out with. He said, he said during this press conference that as far as he knows that the club are not going to sell Mo Salah. And then he said rather pithily, not that that means that much. What do I know? Yes. But ultimately, yeah. ultimately, we did tell you that this was going to happen today. I think a lot of us were surprised at the late notice that the Saudis had decided to give Liverpool in terms of the transfer. But that's in, that bid, for the first time. That's in. There's a lot of talk about it, but the bid has been in and it has been rejected by Liverpool. £150 million. Sam, first with that news, wow. Uh, Julian, I'll get your take on that in a second. I mean, Simon, Liverpool reject a £150 million bid for Salah from Al Itihad. You've got to say, that is nothing if not a ballsy reaction from sure. uh, the FSG group. I mean, it's £100 million with £50 million with add-ons and we don't know how tangible those £50 million with add-ons are and what they are conditional upon. But, you know, notwithstanding it, you know, Liverpool have pushed back on it. I mean... It's 31, they, they, Simon. They're going to come back, though, aren't they? They no. come back with more money. They said they're going to go as much as 200 million. Well, well they've got we'll time. See, no, they're going to come back with a bid of a £175 million, pounds, I'm being told, in the next couple of hours. So they're determined <laughs> to make their splash <laughs> so today. Is, yeah. They'll be back with well, we, 175. We reported this morning that a, PFI, a PIF delegation were going to put together a package of £150 million. I can tell you that it's £100 million as the initial fee with £50 million of add-on. That was rejected by Liverpool. This bid went in overnight. It was rejected. And we expect that the Saudis will come back with a different structure to the deal worth in and around £175 million within the coming hours, which will test Liverpool's resolve. It's worth pointing out that it's September the 7th that the uh, uh, Saudi window closes, which is unhelpful for Liverpool yes. because they will not be able to replace him should they not get anybody in between now and tonight. But I don't think that that's going to, to happen anyway. You're not going to spend a, or, or receive £175 million of a commitment from Saudi and then manage to get a player of equal value to come and replace Mo Salah. If he leaves, he will leave without replacement, I think, yeah, tonight. Yeah. Uh, and Liverpool will have to cope without him and without his goals. That's if he wants to go. Remember the first time that this all came out, he and his agent shot it down very quickly. Mm. They've been very quiet for a... Quite some time. They have, Sam. You're right on that. Sam, great work by you. Simon, I mean, it's mind-boggling money. 
and this is real. This is real. The the the, the bid's been rejected. They're coming back. What are we witnessing here? Well, I mean, the construction of the deal is one of three things, isn't it? It's either a naive approach by the Saudis. It's either a conspired scenario between Liverpool and the the, the deal that's being structured in such a way that it eventually becomes a deal, or it's showboating. Now, if it's showboating from the Saudis, then you put yourself in a position if they're not in cahoots with Liverpool, because there's no reason for Liverpool to enable the Saudis to showboat, because if Liverpool turn around and say, we'll take the deal, then they're going to have to commit on it. So it feels to me, the more I listen to this deal, um, that this is a structured deal that's been conspired between Contrived. Liverpool and the Saudi Arabian club, and they're going to do it. Yeah. And it's mm. about structure. It's about quantum. Um, and if you're looking at 100 million plus 50 million for add-ons, if that suddenly becomes 150 million on the nail plus 25 million pound add-ons, I would suspect that Liverpool will do that deal. You think they'll do it? You think if they're back with that later on today? I think they'll be. I think that the the, the idea that Klopp will walk out the door. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the level of the finances. You think that's at stake? You think? Do I think? No, I don't actually. I, so you I think, think this is contrived, really, the I, way this think, has been dealt with? Why else? The Saudis are not stupid. They may not be particularly experienced in the world of football, but they're particularly experienced in the world of finances. Yeah, They'll get voices yeah, around them. Yeah. So why would you go to Liverpool with your first offer on the 31st of August, albeit the background noise, when you know that one of the one of the levers that Liverpool can pull if they wanted to sell Salah yes, for big money yeah. is to replace him? Now Liverpool can't pull that lever, so why do it now? Simon, what I would say here is that, and I'm not plugging it, but I'll plug it, in in the upcoming book that I've done with Cavi, Cavi Solico, <laughs> he, stre- he stresses that he, each club knows its own budget but not that of its rivals. And clubs are discouraged from trying to sign the same players and bidding against each other. So it's virtually a case of Al-Etihad. Whatever you want to throw at Liverpool, throw at them because no other Saudi club is going to be in competition with you for that player. So Al-Etihad, Sam, are getting a free run here. I think the other thing is is, is to remember that Al-Etihad, the club that gets to play in the Club World Cup later in the year, and they want Mo Salah for that. If they don't get him now... The likelihood is that the next bid that comes in from Saudi will be from a different club if they don't win the league this season. Got you. It's worth pointing out that his contract runs out on the on the 30th of June 2025, which means by the time we get to the next he's big summer transfer year. window, he's going to be in the last year of his contract. So if someone offers you inordinate amounts of money for a player that has got two years left on their contract at this time, it would probably be negligent, Simon, I think, for FSG not to consider it at least and yeah. weigh up the options. And, and that's why I feel that the, the, the levers that are being pulled at this point, because it doesn't make any sense. These are not naive people. They might have an arrogance because their money can buy them whatever they want. But in order to make a deal happen, you have to be able to give people an output deal, which means that Liverpool could re, could, could restructure the deal to be able to buy a, a player. Power, that's not it? happened. So I think, there's a cons- I think they're conspiring to one another to put Liverpool in a position where, well, what can we do? Yeah. What can we do, Jurgen? What can we do, Football World? Yeah. It's so ridiculous now that we would be negligent not to take this kind of money. Is it, is it not turned downable? Can you not turn it down? Can you not hold firm and keep him? Well, you can do what you want. I mean, I don't think Liverpool are under any particular financial fair play challenges, but you're now looking at a player that if they're prepared to pay £150 million down and maybe another £50 million on drips to get to £200 million, this deal's been done in my mind, and they already know what they're going to pay, and Liverpool already know what they're going to accept. It's been playing out, playing out in the theatre. Did it sound like that with Jurgen Klopp, though, in the press conference? Well, may well, may, may well, well not. To the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe you suggested he's he's struck struck a, a, he struck a, a division, division within the camp. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. It's all happening, um, and of course, as Simon would testify, it's a very, very busy day if you are a football club owner. One such gentleman who we know very well uh, joins us live. A gentleman who, in Mr. Jordan's absence, excelled. Indeed, he did. Absolutely excelled. Ready made replacement. In that chair to my right, and he is the Peterborough chairman and owner, Dara McAntony, who joins us from far off Dubai. Dara, how do we find you? How are you, lads? How are you doing? Very good. It is great to speak to you. Um, are you having a busy deadline day? Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a busy few days, that's for sure. I landed here on well, I landed in the UAE on Monday, and it started with a phone call about my manager. So I was nearly on an airplane back to England. Well, there was a bit of panic there for a moment, so I wasn't expecting that. So you just this week is just bizarre. You never know what to expect. The things Simon will tell you, the things that come out of nowhere. Um, you know, from silly bids to nonsensical bids to players wanting to leave and refusing to do whatever, it, it just becomes bedlam. And today's no different. It's been bedlam since 7 a.m. UK time this morning. Um, on a player we're trying to sign, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for a call regarding it. And players meant to be there at eight o'clock. Our manager's leaving for Portsmouth at uh, 8 30, you know, for a meet and intro, then do the medical, do the paperwork, try and register them. You know, agent and player delayed from London. Um, all those kind of things that go on. So, yes, it's uh, it's not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Lord Jordan, to my right, was not a great fan of Transfer Deadline Day. Can you honestly <laughs> say that you're anything other than that? Um, does, I, I don't know. You have to be a sadomasochist to do what we do. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, part, there's, there's part of you that says, you know, you enjoy the buzz of it. And then there's part of you that says, my, my chest gets tighter. You know, as the hours, like, you, you, you know, two days to go, your chest gets tighter on certain things. It's like, if I sell him and I can't replace him, my manager's going to hate me. Uh, if I don't do this and this is the right thing to do, and all these things swirl in your head. And, and you know, I said to my wife yesterday, I went for like a two-mile walk, you know, keep the weight off. I just said, geez, my chest is just tightening all the time because things are changing every couple of hours. Uh, uh, and it's all, those, it's just all the those tangibles that are involved. So, yeah, 
I know nothing like it, you know, that's for sure. Oh, Darryl, I would imagine these sort of times for you are like Christmas as a huge selling club. I always suspect that you enjoy these times. Yeah, very good. You always try and get one dig in, don't you? <laughs> um, you, you, you know, every League One club is a selling club, as you know. Um, and, and my beloved Liverpool could be a selling club if they've come up with 200 million quid for Salah. So yeah, I guess point. that's every football club. But, you know, the, the point there, Simon, yeah, you're a selling club and you're not a selling club. You're a selling club if you have the pieces to replace what needs to be sold. And, you know, my unfortunate issue, you know, replacing you for a week or so when I was on TalkSport was <laughs> some of the subjects... Some of the subjects I talked about obviously provoked some people in the media and they decided to write a hit piece. And the hit piece was along the lines of Peterborough going into administration, blah, 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 I need money. And I knew I knew the knock-on that would have. And, and, and so it's been this week. People who we know have wanted our players for weeks and weeks have left it with two days to go to insult right. me. And you, you know my ego's like your assignment. When someone comes in and they insult you to the level I've been insulted at stages this week, it's like, no, you know, don't believe everything you read. I'm not having that. And part of me is almost like I want I want to take my ball and go home and not sell those players at all. And I can do that, you know, regardless of what's written or whatever else about my you know imminent demise or the club's imminent demise. It doesn't give clubs the right. Yes, they can try, mm-hmm. and, and every club tries to take the mick. But to the level they try, I mean, you know, we've sold players for my 17 years for for millions and millions of pounds. It's what we do. We're really good at it. And that article has just produced. Well, it, it's just been ridiculous. So, and I'm not blaming, you know, the journalist. And it, I think Del Vince probably pa- penned it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, to, be, to be fair, no, I, you, you, you know, well, maybe because they don't actually do, do anything in print, so it's good for the environment. So maybe he's a fan of it, you know. But, <laughs> you, you, know, they, they, you know, the point is, I, I knew it. They were going to come for me. The minute we started speaking about all the woke stuff that Jim loves and wanted to get involved in, and I had my opinion, <laughs> I just, I, 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 knew, I knew some of those bleeding heart liberals were just going to come with their Darryl, parents, I wanted know? to ask a question Darryl, here, be, Just before Martin comes in, to be fair to you, you haven't had your problems to seek this week because, am I right, the yeah. Charlton can did they ask for permission to speak to Dan Ferguson? You said no. The phone rang and it was like, you know, the chief executive of Charlton who used to work for me. And he said to me, um, you know, da 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 da, ba ba ba, we're really interested. And I said, look, I can't stop you making offers for my players, put it in writing. He said, no, I'm not talking about you because I thought it was Clark Harris because he alluded a couple of weeks ago they wanted him. He said, no, it's not about your player, it's your manager. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And he said, uh, I, I want to speak to him. And I said, look, he said, I've always envied your relationship when I work for you. I could see it that, you know, Darren handles you really well. That was almost like an insult. He was like, I think he's perfect for what we're trying to do. And I said, look, I have a great relationship with Darren. Um, I'll ring him now. Uh, if he wants to speak to you, absolutely no problem. That's always been my thing with Darren. If anyone comes in, 17 years ago, I turned down West Brom and another club and we fell out about it and it was the wrong move what I did. So I've taken a bit more mature approach as I've got older that, you know, this is football. I can't stop what goes on. So I rang Darren. You know, there was a bit of a gulp in my throat when I rang him and said, um, you know, Charlton have been on. They want to talk to you. You know, then there's an uncomfortable silence, which actually wasn't the silence. It was the phone network from the UAE to England. So, right. you know, he, he, right. he eventually he eventually said, uh, he said, no, he said, look, I'm just signing this Man City boy. Let me ring you back in an hour. And I'm like, ring me back. So I'm waiting an hour for him to ring me back. Uh, the gaffer rang me back and he said, look, we started this project together. You know, we're committed to it. He said, no, he, uh, I won't be leaving. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. So you fair can tell enough. Them, you know, fair big, enough. Big, big, big club, but don't want to talk to them. And does I thought, that, no, fair, fair play. Fair Dara, play. does that put it into perspective? I'm just, just looking at the results. You've had, you, have, you got off to a flyer, won the first three games, and then you've lost sure. the last two. And then it's obviously a difficult game, isn't it, against Portsmouth? Yeah. 
So, yeah, yeah. you know, you want to retain what's there, the good manager, and, and keep your players uh, yeah, as we, much we, as you Martin, want to improve. Yeah, Martin, we, we made a conscious effort this summer that we were going to trust. We've got a cat to academy. It costs us a lot of money outside of the funding we get. And we made a conscious decision after a couple of years of underperforming, when I say underperforming, relegation from the champ, losing in the playoffs, that that cycle of older players had served its purpose. And we were going to go down a route. The, the manager wanted an exciting project. And he said to me, I, I want to go young. I want to trust the academy. I'm bringing the academy staff into the first team. We've got some great players. We, I want to go young. I don't want to sign players over 26. Now, that's something I'd usually say, but he, he was all in on that when we spoke in May and June. And, I, and he said, the only thing I want from you is don't tell everyone we're going to win the league by March. Um, you know, follow the process, allow me to do what I'm going to do. Uh, in other words, don't be a big mouth, but, you know, and, and we'll still bring in quality young players. And that's what we've done all summer. We reduced the age of the squad from 27 to 22.7. And 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 they're a great, great bunch of lads, no scars, no issues. And the style of football has changed where it's possession-based. So we're really enjoying what we're doing. And, and, you know, there's still a couple of holdovers from before that we'll move on. But overall, it's been a really enjoyable experience. And forget results early on, Martin. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in August, September, October. The real business starts from March yeah. onwards. And, yeah. and that's of when you have you, to be you know, you know, in it. So, But I've been loving it. You want to hold on to those young players, don't you, as long as you possibly can. So, and then it becomes a good story for everybody. Don't don't Absolutely. go too far away from your phone this afternoon, Dar. Dar, we've been talking about the Saudi Pro League. Uh, the latest here is uh, the Saudi Pro League remain, quotes, intent on bidding for Mo Salah at some stage in the proceedings today before the deadline. Um, here's the thing. Simon, to be fair, you don't think the Saudis have changed the landscape that much. You think further down the line we'll maybe see it in the fullness of time. I would contest, Dara, this is happening now. They've changed everything now. And the level of spending already shows that. You know, what they've spent yeah. so far in this window shows that they, they say what they mean and they mean what they say. I mean, they are in town. They're after some big, big name players, not unsurprisingly. And they've spent fortunes so far and they're not going to stop. No, the, Saudi, the Saudis are inevitable. Um, and, and what they want, they get. Um, I, I agree with Simon that they're not quite there yet, but they're showing their intent. Now, they're signing a lot of players, you know, north of 30. Yes, they've done a couple of younger ones. When they start signing, you know, the boy Liverpool signed for Bayern Munich and players like that and young players with talent, when those players start going to Saudi, then we're having a conversation that we're in real, you know, rivals here between the Premier League and Saudi. When they crack the pot about the Champions League and trying to join that market and getting involved, again, we know. But the one thing I know about the Saudis and having done business with them, whatever else, if they want something, they're going to get it. They've shown it with golf. They're shown it with other sports. You know, it, it is inevitable they're going to be a top five. But do you concur, the next six months. Do you concur with the with my ideal that that's fine and they will be able to build and continue to build and no one has a problem with them because they, everyone has a right to build their leagues, right? And no one has a God-given right to monopolise something. But in order for them to come into the fray and be part of the legacy of football, which is the big football clubs, the Liverpools and Man Uniteds, the Arsenals, the Barcelonas, they're going to want to play in the Champions League. They're going to have to fall in line with the governance that everyone else has to fall in line with. And the moment they do that, all of a sudden, the luster that they once had, which is solely economic, is lost. Uh, uh, yeah, I, there's no doubt in my mind you're absolutely correct. But what's to stop them? Now, you know, financial fair play is based on income and expenditure, right? So you get 100 million from the Premier League in TV money, you spend X amount, did it, did it. Then we all know how people try and fiddle it and play it and, you know, the amortization of players over long contracts. Here's the thing. If the Saudis want to play the game and get in and do that and get around that, all they have to do is you'll suddenly see a TV network suddenly come in and pay $5 billion for TV rights for Saudi football. Now every Saudi football club can spend $400 million each. So they're going to find ways to circumnavigate any situation. 
Well, I've said this before on Talk Sport. You know, money talks and BS walks. So, you know, I just think it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And I actually said back a couple of weeks ago, you know, somebody needs to buy the rights for England because people are going to watch it. The amount of players going over there and eventually you're going to tap into the EFL as well. People are going to have eyes on this product. I think DAZN ended up getting it. And, and the problem there is obviously not everyone knows that to use DAZN or watch it, but it will become mainstream. So yeah, yeah. I just think you're right, Simon. There's going to be need to be governance. There's going to be need to FFP, all of those things, but they'll just find a way around it. They D- always do. Dara, as an EFL club owner, how do you feel about the Premier League so far setting another transfer record this summer? Over £2.1 billion spent so far. I mean, you guys don't even have a deal yet. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to fall out with the EFL. I'm on the naughty list for the last year for whatever reason. I don't know. I'm upset everyone that, you, you, you know, so I'm trying to get off the naughty list. But there's so many things I want to change about what happens. with it. I'll just give you one example. You sign loan players from the Premier League um, and you're happy to give them a chance to play and they come down. We had Ben White two years later. He stole for 50 million. We played a part in that. And I want to change the landscape, particularly for League One and League Two, where we have to stop with what we're paying and some of the wages we have to contribute. I think if we're playing a part in helping develop for Premier League clubs for these players to be sold on for millions two years later, a couple of things need to stop. One is the way they push you on, you must put the player up in his own accommodation. You can't share a flat. You've got to pay for the full year. You've got to pay these wages. If he doesn't pay 50%, you've got to pay the full wages, seven, eight grand a week. The biggest thing that irks me is our season ends at the end of April. And they all insist you pay the wages till the end of June. Add up the money from the end of April, from the end of April to the end of June. You're talking about 10, 11, 12 grand on the average loan. Throw that around. How much from the EFL goes to the Premier League in dead money for a time you don't play those players? Players, do you understand my frustration? And I went to the EFL years ago and said, guys, we have to do a strike and stop doing deals with the Premier League for one summer. Stop taking their players on loan unless they listen to us. If we do it for one summer, we'll bring them to the table with some fairness. So while we're fighting for crumbs, don't forget about the small details just on loans alone. Yeah, so yeah. There's, there's lots we need to start fighting our corner on. It drives me absolutely mad, you know, because I love the Premier League, but doing deals with some of them and some of the things they do to you, the clubs at the last minute and changing deals and we insist on this, they know they've got you by the you-know-what uh, and you've got no choice. And I just think it's unfair when you're talking about 19, 20-year-olds who've never played football and you're giving them that platform. It's, and you're Simon, it's hard to argue with that. There. It sounds like nothing other than unfair. No, he's not wrong about you know debating and, and pushing forward with different agendas for the EFL. The leverage that the EFL will have with the Premier League is precisely nothing. So these discussions are 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 not unreasonable. And and for many, many years, you know, I sat on these football league meetings, you know, wanting to cut my own head off listening to some of the drivel that was in them. But the bottom line was to try and find meaningful conversations that had economic benefits. And yes, I don't disagree with Darrow in principle. The idea of having a different loan methodology for Premier League players coming down, there should be almost the categorization of what you have to pay in percentage terms of a player's wages. David Dean did it to me on a couple of occasions, royally, metaphorically took my pants down on Matthew Upson, telling me that the kid was on 5,000, you know, 10,000 pound a week when he wasn't, he was on 5,000 pound a week. So I'm paying more, more wages than the kids actually getting out of Arsenal. Not only are they profiting out of the kid developing and playing and learning his trade in the yeah. championship, they're yeah. also making money off his wages. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to see how the EFL could enforce it, but is it, these are conversations that should be had by cutting edge yes. football club chairman. Yes. They should be pushing the EFL to say, work harder to achieve better outcomes for us. Exactly. Darren, just before you leave us, have you held any agents uh, by the ankles outside your windows? there uh, is it got uh, to that uh, stage uh, yet 
I've had I've had a few rooks, yeah, over the last week, but it hasn't been too bad, to be fair. I I, I did have to laugh, laugh. I was speaking to David Manassi a few days ago, and he's brilliant with me, and he deals with so many big clients. And at the end of the call, he's, he's such a snob. He said, I'm on my yacht at the moment around the Mediterranean. He said, but I need a shower. I always feel filthy talking about League One. And they hung off the phone. You know? oh, <laughs> like, were, you, were, you were you talking to Manassi? Because in some way along the line, your grasping little hands might get some commission out of the fact he signed Ivan Tony to his agency and might be selling him soon enough. Uh, 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 oh, no, to be fair, we, you know, Barry had recommended Ivan's dad to speak to Stella like a long time ago. We have a great relationship with Stella because I think they're, they're sharp. They're very good at what they do. So the answer was, was yes. To, no, no. I was, speak I was speaking to David about a winger at a champ club that he had, but the winger ended up going abroad because he hates England. I love it. So I was devastated. So yeah, that's but, I mean, Dan, what are we talking about here? The tail's wagging the dog. You've got an agent yeah, on is. his luxury yacht phoning you. Yeah, but no, but he's he's brilliant. Uh, he's he's done us so many favours, and he's one of the good guys. He's brought us players from the Prem for next to nothing. Oh you man, know, yeah, Manassi's all right. Okay, he's Barnes all right. You know, Manassi's top class. Top class. <laughs> Jonathan top class, isn't though. Hard edged, hard nosed, hard to beat, outspoken with White and Jordan. I mean, yesterday Southgate announced his latest England squad for the upcoming international break. It's selected once more, and as Martin said, Phillips in there. No, nothing against Calvin Phillips or Jordan Henderson or Harry Maguire, but we need to talk about them. Um, on Phillips and Maguire, not playing for the clubs, but playing for England, or certainly included in the England setup. What is, what is this telling us, Martin? It's loyalty, yes, but is it misguided loyalty? No, I think I think this is Gareth Southgate telling us that he believes in these players. It's it's far from ideal that Maguire and Phillips have not taken to the pitch really this season. So he does, uh, but why don't their domestic managers believe in them? Well, I mean, you, you look at the competition they're up against and the clubs that they're playing for. Um, I don't think that the Manchester United defence has got any better. In fairness, since Harry Maguire has not been in it, you could drive a bus through that Manchester United defence at times and I think you're seeing that the midfield's just not really giving enough protection. So I don't think all week we should blame Harry Maguire. Maybe he looks a better player now he's not playing when you see that what they're having to deal with. So I think Southgate believes in him. I think that's right and proper. If you look at the other young central defenders that have joined the squad, um, there there's hardly any experience there, Jim, at all, in terms of international experience. About eight caps, I think, amongst those players. Um, so he's gone for a, a list of your play. I mean, Dunk's come back in. Mm. Um, Tamori, we know about. I think three or four games for England. So there's not much in there. Cole will as well. So hardly played in the Premier League, Jim. It's a massive show of confidence to him. We know what a great talent he is. Um, so he wants to bed in one of those players. Some, and there's no stones right now. There's no Mings. So I get it that he's had to um, put some youngsters into that back in that. Defense. So this isn't really um, a, a huge a testament of the value of Harry Maguire, it's a lack of choice to some extent. No, I think this is a proven player that's done exceptionally well when you think the time spent on the pitch in preparation for the last World Cup and and for the Euros before. But would you concur? Would you concur? What time in the pitch, Martin? Would yes, you that time no, in the pitch? No, no he's, but he's I saying he didn't exactly, play a lot of time, but he's, but he's, done he's, still, well. he's, still, he's still done well. He's still excelled in Qatar. I'm not sure that's right. Well, he's certainly in the Euros he did. Yeah, he, he but, made the team of the tournament. I think he was, play, I think he was playing a little bit more then because at that, that time the pressure was building up from the Man United fans about the dissatisfaction with him. But would you concur with the view that in order to operate, you operate at your highest level, which you should have to do to be an international footballer, you need to be playing, otherwise you're not sharp, you're not fit, you're not in tune with everything. You don't get your best version of yourself by being sidelined and then only really getting a game-time opportunity at international level, that's not ideal, no, is it? No, it's not. But we've been here before with Maguire and we're only three games into a season. And so uh, maybe uh, well, Gareth will see it, right, I can give him two games here now 
two games back to back. The next one is against Scotland, Jim. That's 150th anniversary, as you know. That that game's very significant as well. All right. It's bragging rights. But isn't so it about backside, play... about face, though? Isn't it? Isn't it surely your domestic form that drives you into an international setup, rather yeah. than the history of your international performances that keep surely you that's there? a question. Yeah, but, but Gareth wants to. Ha- he doesn't want to expose these young central defenders. He has no stones to call upon. He has. What's he to do? What will be the combination if he doesn't? Im- so, if he doesn't so, include if, so if Maguire doesn't. He's trying Getting to qualify for a, for a tournament. He doesn't get any more game time. Then eventually he's going to have to pay these younger players. And the quicker he gets them experience at international level, the better it's going to be for Correct. them. So and they'll what's get the that. point of having a blocker in the middle of it like no, Maguire that, that might play they will in get that. They will get that experience either side of him. Maguire, I assume, will play in both games and somebody else, A another, will play... 90 minutes either side of him in, in those other games. So it doesn't concern you too much? That Not, he hasn't been what, playing What concerns club, me is qualification. But I think he is that's included in the England squad. I think Gareth's looking at qualification. Who are the players that can get him there? Yeah. By and large, when you look at the World Cup squad, there was only really Henderson that was over the age of 32, 33, coming up to. And you look at it for this summer, the squad will be pretty well the same. But okay. it's up to other younger players to, to break their way yeah. through. And there's an opportunity here for these young players. Well, you mentioned Henderson. Now, uh, Gareth Southgate, Simon, when, whilst you were away, Gareth was in here. And I must admit, uh, producer yes, Luke yes, myself, no, yeah, yeah, assistant yeah. producer Joe, we, we had an hour with Gareth and we threw the kitchen sink at him. And I and thought he I, did very I well. I must admit, he stood up to everything we asked. So he should, he's he came manager. back with. Yeah. Uh, didn't fudge a thing. But he has been something of a kind of statesman, if you like, on many issues, uh, in and around Qatar. Uh, and, of course, one of the, one of those involved the One Love Armbands, for example, uh, which got a lot of media attention in Qatar. But then yesterday, when he was confronted by media questioning about Jordan Henderson, who's now plying his trade in Saudi Arabia, with his own human rights issues there, Gareth got a bit prickly about being pushed on Henderson and Henderson's inclusion. I, I don't really know why a player would receive an adverse reaction because of where he plays his football. That, that of course, is a personal choice, but um, I, I think it's really difficult to... Yeah, I'm a bit lost, really, with some of the questioning because you, you walk in to try and talk about a squad announcement based on football decisions and increasingly we're na- navigating such complex political aspects that, yeah, I, I'm not really trained to do. So um, forgive me if I'm stumbling a little bit, but I, I find it really uh, a, a really difficult scenario to try and get right. Um, we'll do the best we can. Um, and we are trying to make the decisions on any number of reasons, but I have to pick a squad based on the players that we think can get us qualified for a European Championship. Um, and that's, that's why we've picked the squad we have. We have tried to be supportive, but I also accept that members of that community felt let down around the World Cup. And I do know that we're in a position where there might be a feeling we haven't done enough in certain situations, and if that's the case, then you know we, we have to accept that criticism. But it's not intentional that we would uh, feel that we'd let down any of our fans. But it's very; co- these are all very complex situations that we're trying to do our, the best at uh, navigating. I found that strange, Simon, on two points. Number one, Gareth knew a question like that was coming. Yeah. Because he's included him in the squad. And number two, I'm confused that Gareth would say something like, it's really difficult. And I'm a bit lost with some of the questioning. 
How can he be a bit lost? Because he's included. I mean, he knows where Henderson's playing. Well, yes, of course. But I also can understand some of the things that he's saying because the only thing I would suggest is that Gareth perhaps shouldn't have dived in some of, into some of the minefields with such gusto as he did. Um, because on a number of occasions he's had to find himself in a difficult situation. He spoke very robustly about Ivan Tony before he knew the circumstances and the full extent of what Ivan Tony had got himself involved in. And there was a it, was a, it is a minefield for them because they don't really want to walk down this line. We saw they didn't really have the coverage of their convictions when they wanted to turn around and wear armbands and then they weren't prepared to take yellow cards for it. So their actual convictions weren't that courageous. So I would prefer they stayed out of it full stop. The problem is for Gareth is that and don't take this as an assault upon the media. The media don't want him to. They want to put those questions to him. So he either has to go straight out of the gate and say, I'm not asking these questions ad infinitum, whilst he's working for these sops at the FA, and we've seen what they operate like. They'll just run with the hair and hunt with the hounds. They'll come out with a ridiculous statement saying that, you know, Serena Wegman could be the next England's national team manager for the men's, because it's a politically correct statement to say in the face of a Women's World Cup, rather than say the reality of the circumstances, which is not right now, but maybe a long time in the future when the game's developed. So I can understand in the environment he's working in why he's forced by the guys that he's working for to address these issues, and then he can't win whichever argument he gives. He can't win. He didn't legislate for Jordan Henderson going to Saudi Arabia. Do you Arabia. feel, Simon, that he needs to be less open within these press conferences? Because he's, he takes all manner of questions, doesn't he? And he's well, a football manager. Well, the one of the, the strengths that Gareth has been able to achieve, and I think one of his biggest strengths, is the ability to be able to integrate the media into the framework of the national side in a way that encourages positive thinking yes. and a better dynamic. Yeah. So with that has come this candour. Now, on the other side of that argument, now he's in a situation where he's approached things in that way and now it's coming back round and, and kicking him up the backside. I think he should have kept his own counsel. I don't think they should have been so vigorous... There was no necessity for it. They're the England football team. He's the England football manager. They're going into a World Cup. We didn't need to hear mm. some of this stuff just because there was background noise from people that wanted the footballers to say certain things. And he should have had a little bit more substance about him. But I also understand why he didn't. And now the irony of it is the dial's turned. Yeah. And now he's and now he's looking slightly because he is looking slightly foolhardy because he was vociferous mm. about these things. He did have views about these things. He it's an impossible job, though, isn't it? So like he's trying to be all things to all men and to all women, isn't he? And therefore, you eventually upset somebody. And he, uh, he was asked the question: Was Henderson be would, would get stick when he takes to the pitch? Yeah, yeah. That was the question that he was answering. Okay, it's just that when he was in here, he he, he seemed to answer the questions a, a lot more comfortably and confidently. But then yesterday, when you knew the question was going to come round yeah. the, the, he can't the answer corner, it, Jim. He, he, could, he, he found it difficult but, to answer. But the reality of when he came in here and the, the hypothetical situation of whether Jordan Henderson was going to Saudi and subsequently whether he was going to be picked for England yeah. is a much more easier question to answer than the pointed question of he's in Saudi. That's a good point. He's a hypocrite himself for the observations that he's made previously because it now suits him to be in an environment that he's castigated previously. Yeah. And now the England manager's got to answer on his behalf and he can't. The alternative is he bows to the pressure and says, I don't pick a player that I want to pick. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Monday. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.